Warriors World Champions. The Anaheim Ducks are the Stanley Cup champions. Pitch swinging. Oh, and first pitch crushing. Oh, man. Lean into it. Zegers here. He can Oh, look at this. Oh, he just Welcome to the third episode of the Catelicast. And what a weekend, what a weird week it's been uh, in Anaheim sports. It's just been strange, to say the least. Had that little emergency episode about Ryan Getzloff retiring, so uh, I won't really go into that in detail. But so in the last two episodes, I started off with the Angels, and I think today I want to start off with the Anaheim Ducks. The biggest news to come out of the Ducks is, for some absurd, ungodly reason, head coach Dallas Aikens has been re-signed. Well, they picked up the club option on his contract, which I, I didn't even know there was a club option for 2022-2023 season. But apparently there was after his three-year contract expired at the end of the 2022 season. And now, according to the team, Dallas Aikens will be the head coach next year. So, I I don't understand. Um, this is a quote from new GM. Well, I guess he's not the new GM anymore, but General Ducks general manager Pat Verbeek. He says, Dallas has done this job under difficult circumstances and deserves the opportunity to continue coaching this team. We are pleased he will be returning and look forward to a promising 2022-2023 season. I mean, a promising... How, how could you say... Pro- I don't know. I Dallas Aikens is just not... He's not a good coach. He is not a good coach at all. I think that... I think that maybe his record in the AHL kind of speaks to the fact that you don't have elite tacticians going against you in the AHL as much as you do in the NHL. You're not going up against the elite, elite bench bosses in the world when it comes to hockey. And I don't know. I just think that his AHL record really makes himself look a lot better than he actually is. His NHL record is terrible. Uh, it's not even, I'm not even, I don't even want to look it up. I don't want to dive into Dallas Aiken stats at all. Um, I know for a fact that it was definitely under 500. I want to say it's like in that 40 percentage, which is terrible. And I think the biggest problem that I have with Dallas Aikens, I mean, we can get into, we'll get into the lineup conversation a little bit later and how he structures the lines and playing time and all of that. But it's the culture. I don't understand the culture that Dallas Aikens builds. If you look at the those the Edmonton teams when he was there, I think it was like 2013 to 2015 or 2013 to 14, some somewhere in those years, right? So, I used to since I was a I still am a hockey nerd. I used to watch that uh, that series that about the Oilers. Uh, it was called Oil Change, where the whole, it was like a whole like HBO kind of a hard knocks deal where they would just go behind the scenes of everything of the Oilers and the whole premise of the show is that they were supposed to go from worst to first and they were changing the oil, right? Changing the new team or whatever. 
And so you got an in-depth look at the locker room and the players, how they interacted, and the coaches. I mean, that look at that Oilers team. They gave up. They gave up so quick on Dallas Aikens. And you, you could argue that there was already a huge losing culture, and I doubt that really any coach could have pulled that Edmonton team, like the Taylor Hall, Nugent Hopkins, Everly, like those teams, Devin Dubnik, Horkoff, like... Those teams probably weren't going to go anywhere anyway if they had an elite coach. But they, that team, those players gave up so quickly on Dallas Aikens. And you could see this happen, too, in Anaheim. You look at John Gibson, right? Gibson knows that he has to be perfect every single game in order for the Ducks to have a chance to win. It takes a toll on him. And then you wonder why he starts off the season really hot and then all of a sudden he kind of just fizzles out. Because it takes a mental toll on you. I mean, not only the physical toll. And speaking of the physical toll, uh, Ducks lost to Florida today. And that game shouldn't have gone overtime. But the reason why it did was because John Gibson stood on his head, made 52, 52 saves, and the Panthers missed the net at least I would say they had at least five shots miss the net, probably probably around 10. So they had 65 shot attempts or something like that. And then uh, in overtime, the team, they just get totally gassed out. And then Gibby has to stretch out, you know, go from one side to the other side. And he just physically, right, you just can't get over on the other side like that, especially when he's already made so many saves have been so tired and then it looked like he kind of got injured and it was just all she wrote right easy goal for uh, Florida and they win the game in OT and you can't I don't blame John Gibson I would I would be upset too and he's already publicly said that he doesn't want to stick around for a rebuild well this is a clear indicator that this is a rebuild right if you're going to be keeping Aikens around and I guess there really aren't too many hot uh, coaching names out there so you maybe you could justify it, but I just don't understand the culture he brings in. I mean, what kind of what kind of culture did the Ducks have? Can you really talk about it? They like to hype him up all the time and say, "Oh, Dallas Aikens is a great players coach." I mean, is he really a players coach? Does a players coach bench your young up and coming superstars and play them with fourth liners who aren't going to be in the NHL next year, or do they? Uh, restrict their minutes and give it to guys who probably are fringe NHL players at best. That to me, that's not a player's coach. And I know there have been some people who have said that, oh, you have to give Eakin some credit because when Zeger says in Michigan and it doesn't work out, or if he does some weird between the legs, you know, trick shot that he does, or even the alley oop assist, uh, Milano tried that, right, to Zegers. Even on the times people are saying this, that even when, oh, the players do like this crazy out of the out of the bag of tricks kind of stuff, and Dallas Aikens isn't going over to the going over to the players and yelling at them and getting in their face about it and saying, "Oh, you're embarrassing the game or whatever. You're making the game look bad." I mean, really, the only coach now that would do that is Daryl Sutter, right? John Tortorella is not coaching anymore. Randy Carlisle is not coaching anymore. You're you're a complete di- dinosaur if you would get mad at a player for trying to do something skillful, for trying to do something different, for trying to do the lacrosse goal, trying to do, trying to go between the legs or something ridiculous like that, right? The skill level in hockey is just, is just really exploded lately. And 
if you you I don't think you should be rewarded for like not limiting your players. That's what a good in my opinion that's what a good coach should be doing is you shouldn't be limiting your players. And while Eakins isn't isn't reprimanding players for doing like out of the out of the box stuff, still though, the actions speak louder than words, right? You he keeps benching Zegers in critical times towards the end of games. He keeps putting freaking Derek Grant. I mean, why? Why is Derek Grant playing on a line with Zegers? Why? You ha- and then it took you how long to have Zegers play with Terry? And then you had Zegers and Milano that was playing really well together. When the Ducks were winning games, and then you split that up and put Milano on the fourth line. I mean, how, how is he supposed to do anything down there? I don't know. Before we get into the lines, because I know that's a whole that's a whole other can of worms. Um, I just want to read some of these comments. I, uh, Ned says, I can't think, uh, this is from, this is all from Ducks Twitter replies to the, uh, release that Dallas Higgins has been rehired. So this tells you what Ducks fans feel. Ned says, I can't think of a single good reason for this other than Verbeek wants to take his time looking for the right replacement, which I, I think is probably the reason why. And if you could, I could justify this news a little bit, but still, that's, Anyways, uh, Peter Withrow says, just an awful decision. Hope everyone is is excited for another top 10 pick next year. That and Grant being treated like a first line again. I don't know what Derek Grant is doing. <laughs> he should not be even close to the first line. Um, let's see. There's just a bunch of gifts. Um, oh, Pavelouche says, "What's a bad deci- what a bad decision. He showed nothing during these three years. The best play for these three years... For these three seasons, Duck showed when Eakins was in the COVID protocol. So that's something that I've act- I've actually joked a lot with with friends, is that uh, during that East Coast trip right before the All Star break when Eakins was in the COVID protocol, that was when the Ducks played well. And you remember they went on that East Coast trip, and they smashed like Tampa, they beat Boston, they beat all these great Montreal, they beat all these great. Well, Montreal's not great, but they beat all these East Coast teams on the road. And then Eakins was in COVID protocol. Like, they had Bosch and Todd Marchant behind the bench. So, anyways. Uh, Alex- Alexander Eddy says, Oilers fans are laughing their heads off right now. Right? I mean, when when, when they hired Dallas Eakins originally, I was like, okay, the Oilers situation, it was kind of, you know, nobody was really going to bring that team back to relevancy. They had to still undergo a lot of stuff. But you just look at you just look at how much the Ducks give up now. And they don't really, do they really want to play for him? And it's like, I don't ever hear players say that he's a player's coach. It's always somebody else saying, oh, Dallas Akins is a player's coach. Unless I hear it really from the players, I'm not going to take too much stock into it. Uh, Jeffrey Epstar, this is a good one, says, going to be hosting a jersey burning this weekend. They'll finish last place next season and still not get the first pick. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you on that last one. Um, Blunter S. Thompson says, why do you hate us? <laughs> uh, Larry Sattler, feel sorry for your marketing department. Yeah, because they're going to take the brunt of the social media um, comments. Next season, opposing team's fans will outnumber the Ducks fans. Free Gibby. Well, to tell you the truth, uh, opposing team's fans have been outnumbering Ducks fans for a while at the Honda Center, so it's not really a new development. Angel of Asgard, so I like I like this guy's Twitter handle. It says boo, yeah. I mean, there really aren't too many positive comments, 
And you can say that, oh, what do you know about the game or whatever. I mean, you just, you could just see it. And I'm not saying that they had to get some crazy elite level coach, but just anybody but Dallas Akins. And I, I just don't like it. So I've been really hammering home about the culture. Um, Eric Stevens, who is the Ducks writer for The Athletic, he's covered the Ducks for a long time. He was writing for the OC Register before he went to The Athletic. He wrote an article a few weeks ago about how players were fighting each other in practice and all that, which, I mean, really isn't that newsworthy. But when you really consider, I want to say it was, Vin, yeah, it was Vinny Letary for sure. And I believe somebody was like getting in Zegers' face, or like somebody was fighting with Z. And it's like, what? What are you doing? How is that? How is that a a great like culture for this team? I don't understand that. And I mean, what what does Dallas Aikens really add to this team aside from his weird and strange lineups? Which strange lineups is nothing new in Anaheim. I mean, just look at what Joe Madden's doing. But um, I just want to pull up the lines that they had. Uh, for the Florida game today. Uh, Henry, Getzloff, and Mayhew. Okay, I mean, that's fine. Grant, Zegers, and Terry. I mean, why? It took you how long to realize that, oh, hey, maybe we should have a 30-goal scorer. Maybe we should have him play with our um, best passer, which, no offense to Getzloff, I think <laughs> Zegers is the best passer on the team right now. And then they put Derek Grant there ever since the whole, well, even before the whole, um, the whole uh, Jay Beagle incident. But Why? I mean, I understand his role a little bit, but that's not that's not maximizing your team, and that's not giving that's not putting your team in the best chance to win. It's not it, you. I don't know. Great coach though, right, Dallas Higgins? Uh Sonny Milano playing with Lundstrom and Ashton Reese. So you're gonna put a really skilled guy with two all defensive forwards, basically. That doesn't make any sense to me. And the best one, Max Comtois. Comtois on the fourth line, playing with Carrick and Simone. Okay, so Max Comtois was your leading goal scorer last year. And guess who the coach was? Oh, that's right. It was Dallas Akins, right? And didn't Comtois play with uh, some guy you might have heard of named Trevor Zegers? Oh, that's right. He did play with Trevor Zegers. So if you want to have, if your argument for putting Derek Grant on the same line with Zegers and Terry is that, oh, I want some more physicality. I want some size. I want some snarl. I want somebody who will step up if they... Get... Well, you know who's a physical player? Max Comtois. And he will fight. I mean, he's probably only fought a couple times in the NHL, but it's more than Derek Grant, probably. I mean, Comtois, you know he has that little bit of a mean streak in him. You know he's going to be throwing hits here and there. And he already has great chemistry with Zegers. And he's probably the only pure sniper that we really have on this team. And so I don't know what blackmail Max Comtois got of Dallas Higgins during the offseason or something, but why is this guy on the fourth line? Why is he being benched? And he's your leading goal scorer last year. He's a proven NHL commodity. And there were rumors that his, uh, him and his agent or him and his people were upset with the Ducks and they were like kind of, you know, they, they didn't request a trade, but if they got traded, like, they wouldn't be opposed to it. And, yeah, it's unbelievable. I don't understand his Dallas Higgins logic at all. Why you put skilled guys with not skilled guys. Why you just can't put all of your skilled guys together. I mean, it doesn't make sense. The, the number one objective for a coach is to be to put your team in the best place to win. And does he do that? No. 
I there's a reason why get like I was saying before how Gibson gets tired out really quickly in the season is because Aikens realizes oh hey Gibson is the best chance to win and so he just rides him out there and he just keeps going until the wheels fall off and then now he kind of doubles back on and then they have Stolars play a whole bunch of games but then they still have Gibson playing now even when the Ducks are clearly eliminated from playoff contention as soon as that happened and even before they were officially eliminated I, I would have just packed it up and said, hey, Gibby, like, you know what? You need to rest. You need to be ready for next season, whether that be for uh, the Ducks or for another team, which I do think he will get traded in the offseason. But it's a disservice. It's a disservice. It's a disservice to the players, and I just don't understand why Dallas Aikens was brought back as the coach of the Anaheim Ducks. I could be wrong about it next year. I mean, to be fair... The, play, the expectations for next year's team aren't for them to make the playoffs anyway. I just, I would really love to see somebody who can establish a winning culture with this team because you're just, you're stuck in neutral at that point. And then especially you won't have, you won't have Ryan Getzloff uh, back next year. And so do you really want to keep this same kind of lame duck coach? Because the players know probably by now that Dallas Aikens is not going to be the coach three years from now, five years from now, right? And so wouldn't you want to uh, really get somebody in there who can establish a winning culture and put the young players out on the ice and let the kids play as much as possible? So I don't know. To me, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to have Dallas Egan still there. He's a lame duck coach. The players realize that. He does not give – he does not put the Ducks in a better chance to succeed. I don't understand I don't know. These are my thoughts about the Dallas Aikens, uh, uh, not rehiring, I guess. You could say the Dallas Aikens news, the Dallas Aikens extension, the Dallas Aikens um, contract renewal, I guess. I don't know what you want to call it. But it shouldn't be happening, but oh well. Um, I guess we can talk about the Angels, who are frustrating in their own right. So stay tuned for that. Uh, see you on the other side. All right, let's talk about the Angels. Somehow, someway, this team is 3-3 three and three to start off the season. Uh, they lost 3 out of 4 against the Houston Astros in the opening series at home, which I kind of figured would happen. And then they swept the Miami Marlins. They had a weird, really quick, impromptu two-game series that they just wrapped up today. Had a strange fluke walk-off. Max Dassey hit a ground ball to Jazz Chisholm, and they kind of bobbled it. And Tyler Wade, being Tyler Wade, right, just put his head down, kept running towards home plate, and then with the bobble, I mean, there's no way they were going to get him out with Tyler Wade's speed. And the Angels walked it off, and that was the bottom of the ninth. They won 4-3. to three. So that's cool. The Angels, though, I just... It's been more of the same that we've seen from the Angels the last few years, but there are some encouraging signs, I guess. So, let's see. Uh, I'll, I want to get into the positives first. Says, Unfortunately, I'm more of a pessimistic person, especially when it comes to sports, because, let's be honest, my teams really haven't given me much to cheer for lately. So, you know, let's get into the positives. Uh, Brandon Marsh. Brandon, Brandon freaking Marsh. This this guy, the caveman, whatever you want to call Brandon Marsh, he he has just had an amazing start to the season. And, you know, you could... So, okay, I'll be honest. I've been higher on Brandon Marsh than Joe Adele. Uh, but 
I'm a nobody, right? I still am a nobody. Probably all only five people listen to this show every episode. But you can ask people I know. I was always higher on Brandon Marsh than Joe Adele. Just because I think that I thought that Adele struck out too much and his plate discipline isn't as good as Brandon Marsh's. And even though Marsh doesn't have the power or maybe the ceiling that Adele has, just the consistency that Marsh brings to, brings to the game every day, to me that's more valuable than Joe Adele. But Brandon Marsh is just hitting the crap out of the ball. His, uh, if you go on Baseball Savant and you just look at some of his stats right here, his expected batting average is 431. I mean, expected batting average being 431, and it is a small sample size, right? They've only played six games so far. But if you want to compare it to last year, his expected batting average was 266. So expected batting average isn't your actual batting average, obviously. It's just what they, it's just what, according to, um, according to uh, Baseball Savant and how they calculate their stats, so they take take things into account like ballpark or like you know what where the ball lands all that kind of stuff how the defense is shifted like what should what usually would be a hit and what shouldn't be a hit so expected batting average is 431 i mean that to me that's ridiculous for Brandon Marsh to just jump up um, especially with how he w- he was really lost last year at the plate which i mean i don't blame him right he was a rookie last year a little bit over his head but to just show up this year and look like a completely different person. He's hitting 308 on the year. He has the one home run. Uh, no stolen bases, and we'll get we'll get into that a little bit later. An OPS of 1,086. I mean, that's ridiculous for a guy who is just a few games into his major league career because he's not even close to, being pl- uh, to have played a full season. Uh, I don't know how many games he played last year, but it definitely... Even now, it doesn't uh, all of his games in the major leagues doesn't equate to a full season. But I mean, Marsh just looks—he looks the part, right? He just looks a lot more confident at the plate than he did last year, and he just look—he just looks like he belongs, right? Like there are some young guys who come up, and then you can kind of tell um, that oh, you know, they're nervous or they're working on some things, but Brandon Marsh, like, he just, he gets in the, he gets in the batter's box, he's in the field, and he just looks like he belongs, and honestly, for a lot of young guys, and especially in baseball, because it's such a mental game, you need that, like, that, that's half the battle, usually, and so, uh, there are some things that I've, that I've wanted to talk about with the Angels, and since I've been talking about Brandon Marsh, uh, I guess we'll go into the lineup situation, so, they keep having Otani at leadoff, which I'm not opposed. I wasn't opposed to having Otani at leadoff when the season started, but I've always thought that the reason why he hit leadoff last year was just because they wanted him to get used to the fact that he had to hit leadoff on the days that he was pitching last year because they didn't have the Otani rule. Well, now with the Otani rule or the two-way player rule, there's no point in him, in him having to hit leadoff now because you can still have him be in the DH spot. So technically, he can be in the lineup wherever you want. So, with Brandon Marsh uh, killing the ball lately, and with him taking walks and just showing overall great plate discipline at the plate, I was thinking, why why not have him be the leadoff hitter? And you know what? I need to take a victory lap as well, because in the last episode, I specifically said that either one of Joe Adele or Brandon Marsh should be the leadoff hitter. Well, Joe Adele is still really struggling with plate discipline, and 
Brandon Marsh has been working counts really well. He hasn't been chasing, and he's just been doing all, and he's getting on base. I mean, that's that's everything that you need from a leadoff hitter. It's a, his stats are a little inflated, but his, his OPS is 1086, right? That's, you know, Mike Trout level, right? And you need a guy like that to get on to get on base in front of your big sticks. And so, I there were there were some people who who told me that putting Brandon Marsh at leadoff was a dumb idea, and that that's why I'm not a manager. Well, that's very true. I'm not a manager, but. I'm just saying I think that Brandon Marsh should be a leadoff hitter. I said that probably a few hours before the second game of the season. So, you know, now it's a popular take and everybody's saying that, oh, right, Brandon Marsh should be the leadoff hitter, blah, blah, blah. Well, hey, I just want to put it out there that I said that well before uh, the season started. And I don't know. I just, uh, just want to say that I think I know what I'm talking about a little bit here. Might not sound like it, but... Play it back, and it will make sense at some point. Okay, so the lineup I, I was thinking about was, you see, I have Marsh at leadoff, and then the position, I'm not really going to go over the position. Uh, Marsh at leadoff, and then Trout hitting second, and then Shohei Otani. So you're going to have Marsh getting a lot of fastballs because you're gonna, you don't want to have to deal with Trout, and then if Marsh and Trout get on in front of Otani, I mean, that that is speed, speed on the base pass. That pitch is going to be sweating. And he might throw a meatball, and Otani's going to hit it out. Uh, Anthony Rendon still hitting fourth, which Rendon has not done a whole lot. Yeah, he hit the home run today, but man, that bat speed is still not looking good. But I guess in this lineup, I can't really justify having two lefties in a row. Oh, and this and this lineup would be like for the standard like against a right-handed pitcher. So you have Rendon hitting cleanup, which hey, hopefully with having Trout and Otani in front of him, maybe he gets going at some point. Then you have Jerry Walsh behind him, which can also uh, provide some protection. So maybe Rendon gets some more easier pitches to hit. And then uh, you would have uh, Taylor Ward or Joe Adele, whichever one of those two. And then Max Dassey. Max Dassey or Kurt Suzuki in the catcher spot, which Kurt Suzuki, I mean, geez Louise. You know, I was a big fan of Kurt Suzuki, uh, obviously with me being Japanese and us sharing the same ancestry and all that is cool. And I was a big fan of him in Oakland, big fan in Minnesota, Washington. But why Why is he even on the Angels? Why is he? You look at that, you look at that game against Houston. Unbelievable. He single-handedly lost in that game. I mean, catcher is the description of your position. And you can't even catch these like EFIS curveballs and then it goes by you and then the runners advance. But I don't know. I guess we need a veteran presence. But there were better veteran catchers on the free agency market. And you gave you gave Kurt Suzuki a raise. Like what what is he doing? He does not belong on a major league diamond at all. And if you can if you can DFA so isn't that a double standard? Now, I know I'm getting into a tangent here, but isn't that a double standard if you DFA uh, Pujols and Upton, right, for not performing up to their standards or whatever, right? And then you give you bring Kurt Suzuki back and give him a raise, which wasn't a substantial raise, but why is he here? Because as much as I ragged on Pujols and, and as much as people complain about Upton, 
I go Pujols and Upton are more valuable to the team than Kurt Suzuki. I don't know. I'd rather have Matt Thias be the backup catcher. But anyways, uh, then you have Fletcher, Duffy, slash Rojas, slash Mayfield, and then Tyler Wade. Uh, Tyler Wade hitting ninth. Tyler Wade absolutely has to hit ninth. You need to have that speed on because if you, like, say if Tyler Wade laid off, let off the, in, the, the inning, right? And then he gets on however he gets on, right? You have that kind of speed up on the bases. And then Marsh hits a single. So then now you're going to be pitching to Trout with Wade and Marsh on the base pass? Yeah, good luck to that pitcher. Um, oh, okay, so I guess I have to get into the David Fletcher news. So Fletch was on the 10-day. He just got put on the 10-day IL with a hip issue. That's the same hip issue he had in the uh, Dodgers exhibition games. So unfortunately, David Fletcher will be out at least for 10 days. I don't know. There really hasn't been too many updates. I mean, it just happened a few hours ago, so... I no don't really know how it's gonna affect him or if he'll be back immediately within ten days, like they're saying Taylor Ward will be back this weekend. But I don't know. I think that I think the Angels, like I said, they show signs in the in the right direction a little bit, but then they kind of revert back to the same old Angels. So the starting pitching was great. I mean, you look at every start and you really can't complain. Maybe with uh, Jose Suarez, you can kind of say eh, it wasn't that great, but. It could have been worse. I mean, if you've been an Angels fan for a long time, you know what I'm talking about when our starting pitching is terrible. But, you know, the starting pitching was was pretty good so far with one turn in the rotation. You can't complain. Uh, The bullpen has been great. So, obviously, Aaron Loop, uh, Tapera, and Rysel Iglesias, I mean, those three, that's a three-headed monster in the bullpen. I'm just going to come out and say it right there. But it's been, like... It's been Joe Madden's just weird utilization of the bullpen. Like, I don't know. It, 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 was, it was blowing my mind today how you have some, you have some guys who haven't uh, pitched in a couple games. And when he came out at, the, at opening day and said that, oh, we won't be having um, a relief pitchers pitch back-to-back games because of the short spring training. Like, that makes sense to me. I, I understand where he's coming from. That, but then... When you put when you put out guys like Ortega and Myers and Herget, which I, those are the three weakest links in the bullpen for my for my opinion, but Austin Warren and Archie Bradley didn't pitch yesterday, so you could have pitched them today in a tight game instead of your three weakest links in the bullpen, and guess what? You have a day off tomorrow, so why why couldn't you have them? I don't know. And then he stretches them out, too, for multiple innings. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Why, why are you trying to have her go more than one inning? Or, I don't know. Joe Madden is just, I don't know. I don't understand him at all. I've, I've been of the opinion that he's been overrated and was car- being carried by very stacked rosters in Tampa and Chicago. And it's kind of coming to fruition now in Anaheim because we do not have the deepest team. Uh but I, I just I don't understand Joe Madden. I, you know, it could be worse. I do like him more than Sosha. I do like, I mean, he's way better than Brad Osmus, but I, I don't know. I don't know about Joe Madden sometimes. But to me, what's really impressive, though, about the Angels and the fact that they went 3-3, three and three, or, yeah, the fact that they went 3-3 three and three in their first six games is that Trout, Otani, and Rendon have done absolutely nothing at the plate so far. 
So Trout has the one home run. Rendon hit the home run today. Otani has no home runs. Really, the only thing Otani has done at the plate this year is that 119 mile an hour double he hit down the line. And with Otani, one thing that I, I specifically noticed today in this in the in the second Miami game is that that hitch that he does sometimes when he's struggling, when the pitch is coming and he takes a swing, like he kind of like pulls out of the batter's box a little bit. You can kind of notice it. If you look at his 2020 film, it happened a lot, and that's a big reason why he was struggling. And he came in the season last year, and he just his feet were just anchored in the batter's box, and he just knew he was going to see the ball and turn on it and crush it. And I think he needs to get back to that. It, it looks like Otani has kind of changed his hitting approach this year. I know he probably wants to cut down on the, the amount of strikeouts and probably make some better contact to utilize his legs. And to just get on base instead of just being a home run or nothing hitter. But, I mean, being a home run or nothing hitter when you're hitting in front of Mike Trout right now, which I don't think he should be doing. But, uh, you know, it, hey, it won you MVP. You hit 46, 47 home runs, right? I, I will take the, I will take, I will gladly take the extra strikeouts if it still means you're going to have it, you're going to still have a bunch of pop in the lineup still. And it just looks like he's trying to do something something new in the box. Like, he, he doesn't look 100% comfortable in there. And it's, it's Otani. I'm confident he'll figure it out. But it's just something that that is just so interesting to me. And how all of their batting averages are, like, either at the Mendoza line or below it. And still, the Angels went 3-3. Three and three. Like, if, if you had one of Otani, Trout, and Rendon just being super hot, I mean... Shoot, they're probably four and two right now at the minimum. They might be five and one or six and zero. Oh, you know, well, maybe not six and zero oh, because they got blown out that one second Houston game. But probably be, they could be five and one right now. So uh, Otani's on. Okay, this is on base percentage by the way. Otani's on base percentage this year is one sixty. Uh, Trout's on base percentage, I believe. Okay, yeah, Trout's on base percentage is Mike Trout. So. He walks a lot. Uh, it's 368, which that's still low for Mike Trout standards. Anthony Rendon's on-base percentage is 211. If you could just get, if you could just get all three of their on-base percentages over 300, I mean that's gonna be that's gonna be at least a run at the bare minimum, an extra run per game. And so I think that if they can just get one of them going, and one of them just hitting the ball consistently, I know Trout's had the stomach stomach bug, and that's probably been. The reason why he hasn't been hitting as well, but still, though, he looks locked in at the plate. His plate discipline this year has been off the charts, but Otani and Rendon have really struggled. Rendon, I there's a I have a lot less confidence in Rendon. Yes, he hit the home run today, but he just doesn't have the bat speed. I'm sorry, I, it doesn't look like he has a bat speed. You throw him something 95 and over, and he just he can't catch up to it. So I don't know. Um, I know this is kind of getting a, this episode's kind of getting a little bit long here. I'm just looking at my time really quick, and so just to kind of sum up that point, I think that I think that they'll eventually figure it out. Rendon, I don't know, but Trout and Otani definitely will figure it out at some point. And if they can just stay healthy, I think the Angels' offense will be fine. And as long as the pitching holds up, because for me, it's like Lorenzen and Sandoval. I'm not concerned about the pitching ability. I'm just I'm just honestly concerned if they can handle a full major league season workload. I mean, Sandoval, right, broke down last year after a couple months. Lorenzen hasn't been a starting pitcher in, what, six years or something like that now? And so we'll see just how they hold up. But 
there are some encouraging signs. I really like what Tyler Wade brings. Um, love Brandon Marsh's improvement. Um, Reed Detmers. Reed Detmers was great. As long as he gets his fastball command uh, kind of settled down a little bit. I mean, Reed Detmers was great in his start, honestly, against Houston. Um, Otani pitching on the mound was great. And um, uh, Duffy has been pretty decent. Uh, Jack Mayfield's been hitting the ball actually off the bench, which has really been su surprising me. Love to see Captain Jack uh, ripping up the ball. And um, Tyler Way with his speed. Unfortunately, we've had Fletcher and uh, Taylor Ward hurt, but they should be back pretty soon. And uh, the bullpen has been solid. Most of the bullpen. Uh, not not Mike Myers or Ortega or Herget, but that's okay. Everybody else in the bullpen has been solid. I mean, you just look at all you need, right, is Loop, Tapera, and Rysel Iglesias, and then that's kind of a three-headed monster right there, as I said before. But the one name I haven't mentioned yet, and it's because... It's because it's such a such a lightning rod. Is Joe Adele? So with Joe Adele, he still he still um, crazy crazy chases breaking balls out of the zone a lot. Um, if you throw him, like it's like righties that throw him a slider, low and away he's gonna swing at it. Lefties, it's like if I'm a slider in, he's just gonna swing and miss at it, and. I'm just not. I don't know. I don't know what to think about Joe Adele, because to me, it's all between the ears for him, right? It's all a mental game, and baseball is such a huge mental game where if you have any inkling of doubt, I mean, that can really mess you up. And it's just you look at it when he's fielding too, and they were saying that oh, some people were saying that, oh, you know, he plays better. He plays better in right field, which he does. The the metrics do back it up. His defense in right field is much better than his defense in left field. But still, even today, you could see that when a when a ball gets hit to him, and he's like kind of tra tracking it, and he doesn't take the right angles all the time, and it it you can just feel the nervousness. And I shouldn't have to feel that on TV. I can't imagine what the feeling is like in the stadium. When everybody is kind of like clenched up when they see the ball hit to Joe Dell's direction, in the side of the field where he feels more comfortable in, and then he has all the he had the throwing error right opening day against Houston, um, he had another error against Miami where the ball drops in front of him when he's playing right field and the ball just like skips past him, and it to me it's it's just like oh and but but then he also he robbed the home run against Houston that last game. Which he took a bad angle to the ball, but because of his athleticism, he it was able to bail him out, and he robbed a home run. And one thing that I've I've noticed about Joe Dell's defense, and something that people are saying that oh, how come nobody noticed his defense was that bad or that much of a roller coaster? Uh, this is a really weird comparison, but I I think it makes sense. I don't know, but I've always thought that he's like a super athletic cornerback in college football. And their technique isn't good, right? They can get burned sometimes, but they're so athletic that they can catch up to the receiver and then, you know, tip the ball away or get a pick or something like that. But then the corner goes to the NFL, and then everybody in the NFL is a super athlete, right? It's not just that super athletic corner. And then any receiver can burn him, or any receiver can run right past him or route him up or something like that. And all of a sudden, he's not that great of a corner anymore. And I think that's what that's what it is with Joe Adele. He takes terrible routes to the ball, never knows where it is half the time but his athleticism 
back in the minors and like in high school and stuff was able to make up for that because he could just run over to where the ball is going to be and then catch it. But in the majors, the ball flies off the everybody's bat so much that you don't have time to second guess yourself or to think where to go. You just need to react and be in the right place. But even with the strikeouts, though, the the exit velo, the average exit velo in Joe Adele has been good. He did hit that monster home run. He has he's had some good contact, but at this point. I, I don't know if he's going to figure it out. But the best way that he can figure it out is if he gets consistent at-bats. Now, if Taylor Ward comes back from the aisle and he starts just mashing the ball like crazy and he doesn't have any errors, then I'm sorry. Then then Adele has to be on the bench. But if Taylor Ward comes back from the aisle and he's not spectacular, Joe Adele has to play every day. If you have some sort of mental yips or some kind of mental block, you know the best way you can get over that is to just experience it every single day. He has to know the ups and downs of playing in the major leagues and yes he's been up here before but nothing has really been expected of him now he's kind of he's not he's not expected to contribute and be and be the player who some people think he still can be but he has to show the signs and you can't be doing that when you're sitting on the bench getting cold especially in baseball where timing is everything and so i think it's mostly a mental issue with joe adele i don't know if he can reach his ceiling at this point just because of just how much of a roller coaster he's been. I'm rooting for him, obviously. I don't want him to be to fail. I don't want him to be the next Brandon Wood or the next Dallas McPherson or something. But the problem with the Angels is that you have so much PTSD with these first-round picks not panning out, and then you just see him make a boneheaded play in the outfield, or you see him strike out four times in a game. And then you just wonder, you know, what what is this guy going to be? And coupled, I mean, he's lucky, though, that Brandon Marsh has really broke out this year so far and just has played solid baseball and so i think moving forward they just need to give joe a joe adele consistent at bats give him more playing time and just hope and pray for the best will his errors cost them more runs and potentially cost them a game i mean definitely but you want to get them out of the way now so hopefully a couple years from now in a playoff game or something like that he doesn't have a an egregious error in the field or something so i don't know with joe adele it's wait and see with brandon marsh i think he's ready to go Brandon Marsh should be a leadoff hitter. You heard it here first. If you listened to the last episode, you know that I was the first one to talk about that. And that's all I got for the Angels and the Ducks. I know. It's been a hectic week. It's been a long time. This is going to be the longest episode. So bear with me. Um, thank you to everybody who has been listening. Thank you for the reviews. Uh, I have three reviews on Apple Podcasts. Three five-star reviews. So thank you to whoever was uh, leaving a review. I'd love for your feedback. Um, just please, please, please uh, like the show. Show your friends. If your friends are Ducks fans or Angels fans, just tell them about the show. Tell them about me. And hopefully um, hopefully, I'm making sense of this podcast. And hopefully um, things, are, things are going the way I want them to go. And just making sense and giving out, producing good content, which probably not, but you never know, right? Some, maybe somebody appreciates it somewhere. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Catelicast Show. It's all one word. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Catelicast Show. Please, five stars only. Uh, leave some feedback. I'd love to talk Ducks hockey. I'd love to talk Angels baseball with everybody. And just, uh, yeah, that's all I got for this episode. Thank you so much. I know it's been a longer episode. Have a great day.